All right, Ephesians chapter number five. We're nearing the end of our series on choices. Uh, we have one more week after today. And last week, I gave you the first, what I would call a priority choice. It was the first choice that actually would realign or affect your schedule. All of the choices thus far have been a bit more internal, where you're choosing to take responsibility for yourself, or you're choosing to accept the forgiveness and salvation of God, or you're choosing to be a dispenser of forgiveness, or to be authentic. There really hasn't been anything that would have aligned your schedule. So last week we started that, and we talked about placing your family first. And this week, I'm going to give you the second and the last, what I would call priority choice, that actually should affect your day-to-day, -day, should affect your schedule, should affect where your priorities are at. And I'm just calling it simply this, I choose to work at my marriage. Now, I understand, I, I have a love-hate relationship with marriage sermons. I love them because the Bible has a lot to say about that, and it's needed, and I enjoy studying it and, and trying to learn from myself so I can better my own marriage. I hate it because I understand that not everybody in the room is married. So if you're single or even if, no matter who you are, there will be some principles that will apply, but the core of it is going to be geared towards marriage. I further hate it because you always find yourself in the dilemma as a communicator of truth. My job is not just to try to give you, here's what this says, here's the truth, like it or lump it. My job is to try to win your heart to the truth. That's, that's my goal. So there's, there's always a danger in marriage because there are some things that are completely anti-cultural and they're completely against the norm in our American culture at, when it comes to marriage that you ask yourself, do I spend the time trying to build out the logic and the science and why this is life-giving or do I spend more time just trying to give people the truth and help them get more than maybe they bargained for? So there's always that tension. I'll tell you up front, here's what I've decided to do. I'm just gonna give you kind of what the Bible says. I'm not gonna give you a ton of rationale behind some of the things that would go against your grain, although I'll give you a little bit. I'll do more of that in a couple months. So if you're in the room and would say, hey, I'm, you know, I don't know Jesus as my savior or something like that, then understand these choices are meant to build on top of each other. We're at the end of the series. I would encourage you, probably we need to start at the beginning of understanding the gospel and the good news of Jesus and that he dies for us, that he's, he's buried for us, he rises for us and what that means. And then this makes sense, but it doesn't really make sense until then. So hopefully that's, that's a, enough of a disclaimer and we can just get to work today on what the Bible says because I probably have like six sermons pressed into one today, honestly. So here we go. We're, we're gonna talk about choosing to work at your marriage. I think choices are most important where when the difference between doing them right and doing them wrong shows up most obviously. And that would certainly be the case with marriage. If you do marriage right, there can be a lot in your life that goes wrong and you still feel some semblance of security and you feel like you're okay. You do marriage wrong, there can be a lot in your life that's going right and you feel on shaky ground and you feel like you're just, like you're just not winning at life. So, so marriage is a deeply important and vital issue and, and none of us, none of us have, have perfect uh, pass. Uh, no, no matter if, if you're in your first marriage or your second marriage or divorce or whatever, whatever it is, none of us have had a perfect past, uh, but we can't change the past. All we can do is look at the future and decide, I'm going to make the right decisions moving forward, and I'm going to let my priorities lie where they need to lie, and hopefully today you'll, you'll get that. So Ephesians chapter number five, I said last week that in my opinion, the greatest passage on just the home and especially marriage is in Ephesians chapter number five. And today we're going to spell out a bit of this chapter and help us understand. So 
Uh, we normally don't read maybe 12 or 13 verses from the get-go, but you're big people and you can handle it. So we're going to do it. Here we go. Ephesians 5, verse number 21. We covered this verse last week. This is the big overarching principle before Paul spells out specific instructions to wives, to husbands, to children. The big overarching principle for everybody is verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Out of reverence or respect for God, I will submit myself to the others. What does that mean? That means that I'm going to take my time, my abilities, my resources, uh, what I have at my disposal, and I'm going to use that, I'm going to leverage that to the benefit of those that are inside of my family, to the benefit of my children, to the benefit of my spouse, to the benefit of my grandchildren. I'm going to do my best to get under their burden and help them and ask them what they need and submit myself to them and help them because this is out of reverence to God. This is what Jesus did for us. He got up under our sin burden that we couldn't take care of ourselves and he leveraged who he was in his sinlessness and he used that to help us and to offer us salvation, to serve us. So because Jesus has done this for us, we do this for other people. And the question that that, that verse begs us to ask, we talked about last week, is what can I do to help you? Do that. That's a great rule. For, you can just ask that every day to those in your home. What can I do to help you? That would go a long way. Now that principle is spelled out in greater detail, starting in verse number 22. Uh, it starts with wives. Why wives first? I don't know. Maybe it's just ladies first, but it starts with wives. Here we go. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is savior of the body. Some of you all already have your teeth set on edge, I know, but we'll, we'll get through it. It'll be okay. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, I love this phrase, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy without blemish. You know how much work it took in the first century to keep your clothes without spot, without blemish, without wrinkles? You have no washing machine, you have no art, you know the care and the diligence that it took to have that. And this is saying, this is what Jesus is doing for the church, the care, the oversight, the diligence, the working at this. This is what husbands are supposed to do for their wives. Like that, that's an unbelievable picture and illustration of, of what the husband is supposed to do. Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Like, you don't, you do what's good for you, right? So do that for your wife. Put them first. But nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So all of this is meant to show us how to do marriage. All of this is supposed to show us the gospel and Jesus and his relationship to us. This is the sum total of what he just said if you just pressed it all in and distilled it down, verse 33. So nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, husband, so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence, or you could say respect her husband. And this morning I want to give you three principles. I just held up two fingers. Three principles. The priority principle, the pothole principle, and the prescription principle. We'll take them by turn. I'm going to start with the priority principle, which is very simple. 
No relationship is greater than the marriage relationship. That is the priority principle. Of course, I'm assuming human relationships. Uh, We know the first and greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart. But humanly speaking, there is no relationship greater than the marriage relationship. This is what Genesis 2 says when marriage is started between Adam and Eve. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, why would God give us that in the beginning? Adam and Eve do not have parental units, nor do they have children. But that verse is there then nonetheless. Why? Because he knows that we're going to need this to show us the priority and the importance that a marriage relationship should have, that all other relationships become subservient to it, even that of your relationship with your parents, even that of your relationship with your children. You still you love your children and, and, try to, and try to prioritize them. You still honor your parents, all those sorts of things. But the marriage relationship is first and foremost, this is exactly the verse that Jesus will quote when he is questioned on marriage, and most specifically about divorce, Jesus will go back to that verse, and he'll quote that verse verbatim. This is exactly the verse, if you noticed in, in Ephesians 5 verse 31, we read it moments ago, that Paul quoted as he ended his section on marriage, he went back to that verse, and he quoted it to try to speak to the priority of the marriage relationship. We spoke about family and kids and parenting and those sorts of things last week, which is deeply important, but the marriage relationship holds an even greater priority than that of your relationship to your own children. And many people have found themselves in the trap of outsourcing their priorities and their relationship and building that with their children to the expense of the relationship of their spouse And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Ideally speaking and normally speaking, a couple will be married and together and have that relationship established before children come along. And normally speaking, that relationship will continue even after the children leave the home. It is a longer lasting relationship. It is a more permanent relationship. It is something that I'm not diminishing your relationship with your children or or your own parents, but the marriage relationship is the utmost priority and is your first human relationship that you have to prioritize. Even with their own children, one day they go, right? Proverbs tells us, I love the verse, train up a child in the way they should go, right? Go is kind of the emphasis there. You train them up so they will go, so that they will get out. There's, we even say that those who don't have children in the home any longer are what? Empty nesters. That is cueing us into the, the, the picture of a bird getting her, chil- her little birdies out of the nest and, and kind of pushing them on. You even find that spelled out in a Deuteronomy 32 where it gives us exactly what an what a eagle will do. A mama eagle will go above the nest and will flutter her wings and will push all of the feathers and all of the comfort out of that nest to make it very uncomfortable for the little eaglets in an effort to get them to jump out of the nest and mount up with eagle's wings and begin to fly on their own. And if they do not jump out on their own, mama eagle will take a, will take a wing and will push them out of the nest. And she's there to protect and to love and to guide. She's not mean. If, if baby does not mount up on eagle's wings and catch some sort of draft and begin to fly, she'll swoop underneath of it and she'll take it back home and she will give it a little bit of a reprieve and it'll catch its breath, but then the process will start over again so that that little bird can begin to fly. 
This, this, is, this is empty nesters. This is what we do even with their own children. This is what I'll do with my children one day, that you, that you try to help them stand on their own two feet. They may fall. They may have to come back home for a period of time, but that's a temporary, I'm, you're here, and now I'm going to try to push you out and help you go again. The, all of that's meant to say that our, our relationship with our children does not trump and take the place of the relationship with our spouse. At least it's not supposed to. I can have more children, I'm not going to go find a new wife. That's, that's kind of my bottom line logic when it comes to my children and my, and my wife. Does that mean my kids are throwaways so that they're disposable? No, absolutely not. But there's a deeper level of permanency and there's a deeper level of commitment and priority to that of the relationship to my wife and, and my spouse. So in my experience, most people don't struggle to see this. In my experience, people don't really argue with the idea that, yeah, I'm married, and that should be important, and that should be a priority. I, I don't think I can ever remember anyone actually arguing that to me. In my experience, people not only will recognize it logically, but in the, deep down inside their heart, they want it to be so. The people that I meet that are married, even if their marriage relationship doesn't have a premium put on it right now, they deep down inside look down the road of life and they see a preferred future where their marriage is healthier, stronger, happier, better than it ever has been, that deep down inside they crave that and they want that. So we have to ask ourselves a question, if people know it should be, and deep down inside we want it to be, why is it that there's oftentimes a disconnect and we don't prioritize our marriage relationship like we need to. Now, I could spend probably a whole series talking about hypothetically why that could be or should be. I'll just give you one today. This may not be your reason, but for many of us, it would be. This is actually the reason that, uh, that Richard Swinson gives, and, and he calls the problem here profusion. And his definition of profusion is our hunger for aggressive progress. Swinson contends that at the root of our shortened sleep patterns and our 24-7 business model and our longer commutes and our heavier work demands, at the root of all of that is this idea of we have a hunger or this desire for aggressive progress. This is the reason why John Glenn on his first spacecraft had 56 toggle switches to get up into space. And on a second spacecraft had 856 toggle switches. There's this idea of we need more and to make it better and we're pursuing progress and we're doing that aggressively. This profusion is at the root of the general store turning into the big box store, turning into the mall, turning into amazon.com. Now everything's at our fingertips and we can two-day ship anything we want to our house. It's this idea of we want to make progress, we want to get more. This can be really helpful for our productivity, but can, it can really work against the simplicity of life and the priorities that we're supposed to have. The priorities that we're supposed to have are not all that complicated. And if you're not careful as Americans, you can face the juggernaut of profusion and find yourself run down and overloaded in your life and it will ruin the priority that you're supposed to have. It'll ruin the marriage relationship because there's just too much going on. You say, what, what should we do? Should we just scratch that and go live out in the woods and make our own little Baptist commune and just, you know, live off the land, grow organic vegetables, drink rainwater, have a zero carbon footprint and just go back to the simplicity of life? Is that, is that the answer? No, I don't think so. I think there's probably a, a simpler answer than that, which is ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Think about your life. Think about where the priorities need to be and pursue those first and place those first and just prioritize. And if you will make that decision, it'll make a million decisions for you. 
Because if you're anything like me, you have a thousand squeaky wheels that are demanding grease. And if you don't set up front what's going to be our priority, and you don't think about it, and you don't distill down what is going to be subservient to something else, then you'll just run around grease and wheels all day, and you will neglect what actually is deeply important in your life. And we have to come to terms with the fact that our lives are not elastic to be stretched like a rubber band however we want them to be. We cannot go to the store and buy more time, and we cannot hire someone to love our spouse for us. You, you have limited resources there, and only you can do that. You can hire someone to mow your lawn. You can get Blue Apron to send you some meals. You, you, can, you can figure a lot of that sort of stuff out, but when it comes to your marriage relationship, you can't outsource that, and you can't up the ante to help you have more time to accomplish it in a greater way. You can't do it, so you have to prioritize it, and you have to know that that should be first. Here's what Swinson concludes about this. I love how he put it. He said, in our hunger for aggressive progress, we become out of tune with God's creative order and we can easily self-sabotage what should be our number one human relationship. And he's right. That may not, that may not be at the root of why you struggle to make a priority. There may be something else. There, there's a lot of reasons I could give. But for many of us in our culture, with, with the pressure and the pace and all that life demands, many times that's the case. We want to prioritize it. We have a heart to prioritize it. But we feel overrun. And you have to know up front that you have to work at that. And you have to put that first and decide, I'm going to pursue that above all else. That may mean that I have to have a simpler life. It may mean I have to switch jobs. It may mean I have to downsize. It may mean I have to do a lot of things. But I'm going to pursue that and that's going to be number one secondly the pothole principle here's the pothole principle there's always potholes to avoid on the road to marital health i love that the bible is abundantly clear on these i love that the bible doesn't just tell us here's how to do it in the positive but here's what to watch out for in the negative, now I can't give you all of them, but I'll give you a few. I'm gonna go back and forth on these. We're gonna start with ladies, ladies first. Why? Because God did that in Ephesians 5, so I'll just do that today. So here's pothole number one, bottom shelf in it for you here, ladies. Wives, avoid nagging your husbands. This is not a joke, it's what the Bible says. First Peter 3, likewise you wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. Now that's an important phrase. Wives, if you have a husband that doesn't obey the word, meaning maybe he doesn't know Jesus, meaning maybe he does know Jesus, and he's just not allowing the scriptures to guide him, and he's not being the spiritual man that he needs to be. What should you do in that scenario? Oh, pick me. I should nag him to death and be his Holy Spirit. No, First Peter says this, that they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. You say, I told you, conversation. Conversation biblically means lifestyle. It doesn't mean words and talk. This is specifically saying if they are not following Jesus, your go-to should not be to try to nag them or try to talk them into it or coerce them or help them see with your words all the time how, how wrong they are and where they need to do better and where they need to improve, but by your lifestyle they should be one. God specifically says, according to the Bible, that's not your job, that's the Holy Spirit's job. And if the Holy Spirit puts in his two-week notice, then maybe you can apply for the position. But until then, you don't get to take his job, and he does his job. Your job is to try to not get in the car and, and on the ride home. You hear what pastor said? I think you and I both know you can work on something there, huh? That's not going to work. I promise you, it will not work. It will backfire. You will harden his heart. 
If you do get him to passively comply to that, then in the long run, it will backfire and he'll resent you for it. It, it just, it doesn't work. The, the Bible will tell you that. So you, you pray, you encourage, you try to do that in a respectful way. I'm not saying you can never point out a flaw that you never have, that you don't have those conversations ever because you do. But as a rule of thumb, your goal is to try to resist the urge to nag and to, and to pester a bit more than he needs. This is what Proverbs 21 says. And I can't, help but laugh at these verses, but it's, I just love that they're in the Bible. Proverbs 31 talks about a virtuous woman who does her husband good all the days of his life, and she doesn't harm him, and she doesn't do him bad. This is going to give a different picture of a wife who harms her husband, and the primary way that you ladies will harm your husband, his primary way, the primary way you'll do it is with your words. This is what Proverbs 21 says. It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. That says... It's better to go live on the roof than to have this big old mansion and to be there with her. Here's Proverbs 21, 19. It gets worse. It's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is what God said, okay? Like, this, is not, this is not my brother calling me and like, bro, what's, this is God. It's like, man... I feel bad for you. Like, if I were you, I'd go live on the roof or I'd, I'd go out in the desert and die. Like, that's, that's what he's saying. Like, that, that is astonishing to me that the reconciling God of the universe is saying, I'm sorry, man, I don't got help for you. Just, just go to the wilderness. Like, that, that's astounding to me, but that shows you the power of what your words can do and being contentious and, and, and fighting and those sorts of things and what that will do to a man. You have to resist that. You've got to avoid that pothole because it just won't work. Here's, here's a quote in the positive for you. A woman is to a man what wind is to a fire. You can fan it up or blow it out. You can do one or the other. And learning, and it, it really is kind of a, a science that you have to learn because we're tricky and weird, I, I admit, okay? Guys, we're weird. But it is a bit of a science to learn how to do that in a way that, that he'll appreciate and will help him, but you have to work at it. Pothole two, husbands, avoid complacency and giving up. Ladies, if you were thinking, well, I don't get to be his Holy Spirit, who does? Well, the Holy Spirit does, but I'll get after him a little bit too. Here we go. Uh, Genesis 3. This is the curse. Sin enters into the world, and as such, there are consequences for sin, and there's a curse that's given, which is profound. Verse 16, which we'll cover in a moment, specifically says that the wife is going to start to work against her husband. In verse 17, now God begins to specifically address Adam or men, and he says, here's, here's what you get. Here's your punishment. Adam, because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, Here's the curse. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return into the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. Here's what's happening. God previously, chapter 2, had called Adam to have really just a couple basic responsibilities. His job was to subdue the earth, and to care for and tend to the earth and take care of it, naming the animals was part of it. And then he, after that responsibility, was given a wife and was, and was told you have the instruction to leave father and mother and to cleave unto your wife and so to care for her and to put her first. And that's specifically given to Adam. The man does this. 
So he has basic responsibilities to care for the earth and, and, to, and to work at that and to care for his wife. And the curse is implemented and God says, what I have given you to do, what you are to cultivate, the heart of your wife and the earth, that is now going to work against you. She is going to work against you some. And what previously, there was work, but there wasn't toil. I'm not sure how exactly all that worked out. But he says, now this is going to become increasingly difficult. And now when you do this, it's going to work against you. Creation is going to grow. It's, it's not going to just be easy to get this to comply. This is going to be difficult. Now there, there's something naturally working against you, including your wife. So the tendency for a man is to say, you know what, I was created, and we kind of feel this deep down inside. We may not express it, but I know I was created to kind of conquer or conquest or to, or to subdue or those sorts of things are inside of me, but I also feel this resistance that sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it's work and sometimes what I'm supposed to prioritize, my wife, my kids, it's not always easy and I feel that it takes maximum effort. In fact, it's tough, it's too tough, and I don't feel like doing it really anymore because it is difficult, so I'm just gonna you know, downshift a little bit, put it in neutral, and I'm just going to coast on this sucker. I'm not going to work at it because it is work and it is hard. I'm going to, men have the tendency, I would say even more than women, and in my own personal counseling experience tells me this as well as talking to other pastors. And to be clear, I'm not the world's greatest counselor. There's four or five people that handle most of our counseling. I do very little of it because I'm not great at it. If you want counseling with me, it won't be great. I promise. There's other people that are better at it. But I've learned through counseling that if there's, if there's a marriage that's in trouble and there's a husband and wife that both need to put in effort, if there's, if there's a scenario where only one of them wants to work and the other one doesn't want to work, not always, but more often than not, the one who will want to work is the woman and the one who will want to downshift and not work is the man. That's nine times out of 10, the way it plays out. There's a reason why there's a stigma to a 20-something-year-old man who's living in the, in the basement of his parents' house, but there's not nearly the stigma of that with a young lady who's living in the basement of her parents' house. That's not just because we invented it. That's the way that it generally works out because there's something deep inside of a man more than a woman that's gonna tend to propel him to just get on the lazy river of life and coast because it seems to be difficult and I don't want to work at it. And men that are working at it, I commend you for that, but all of us feel this and have to war against this that it is difficult to be engaged as a dad. It's much more easy to come home and just vegetate and turn on the TV and not be engaged and not do anything. It's, it's easy to say, I know I should be pursuing my wife. I know I should be seeking to bless her. I know I should be working at this. I know I should be caring for her and loving her. But, but putting this thing into autopilot just seems like the way to go for me. And that seems like an easier course of action. It's very easy for me or you as a man to fall into that trap. To say, I know that I need more time with my wife and kids, and I know the priority is not there, but at work, I actually feel a little bit respected, and I can get a bit of an ego trip, so I'm going to pursue the job that I know is going to place higher demands on me at work, and it's going to be to the loss and detriment of my family, but deep down inside, I'm going to pursue that, and then I'm going to go home, and I'm going to blame it on the big bad company, but I'll, all I'm doing, and all you're doing at that point in time is, is, you wouldn't say it this way, but what you're saying is, I'm going to take this way that makes me feel good and seems to be a little bit easier than home life that's tougher for me, so I'm going to pursue the easy route. And you'll, you'll call it wanting to provide for your family or something like that, but at, at its core, that's not what it is. At its core, it's you, it's you warring against the curse. It's you wanting not to work as hard. 
And you have to, men, know that there's a pothole that you have to avoid. And you have to know, I'm going to have to work. I'm going to have to work hard at this. And this is not, this, it, literally, God tells Adam, till the day you die. Like his words are, till the day you die, you were made from dust, you're going to dust. That, that whole dust part is meant to say, this isn't going to stop. I'm sorry. This, it's, it's just not going to get easy on you, bro. Like it's just going to continue over and over and over again. So don't downshift, resist, avoid the, the pothole of complacency and just giving up. Third, back to wives. Wives, avoid assuming for yourselves the God-given leadership of the husbands. This is the part where I'd love to give you a lot of logic and science behind this, and I will in a few months, but I don't have time to do much of it today. Frankly, my wife could probably be better at teaching this. There's even some incentive there in Titus. Titus tells the older women to teach the younger women these things. So I recognize even biblically, there's something about this uh, communication amongst women here is sometimes better than the guy telling, telling you what to do. But there's Genesis and Ephesians and others that, that give me leeway to say this. So here it is. Genesis 3, here's part of the curse for the woman, the preceding verse to, to Adam. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow shalt thou bring forth children. Uh, we, we know that's real, right? Childbirth is painful, it, it's, it's not pretty. There's, there's no greater moment in my own life where I've more wanted to be a woman and thankful I was a man all at the same time. <laughs> when my wife was birthing children, wanting to take that pain from her, but at the same time saying, you know, hey, you got your curse, I got my curse. Um, <laughs> you're gonna get mad at me. Someone's gonna get mad at me for that, but I say it in jest. My, hus my, my husband, my wife knows that. Uh, here's the next phrase though, which we don't dwell on as often. The next phrase is, and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. Now, here's what it's saying. I'm doubling down on the authority structure that, that I previously put in place, that the, that the man is supposed to be the authority for the woman and protect her and provide for her. I'm doubling down on that, but thy desire shall be to thy husband. That's not saying, here's the curse. I'm gonna make it real easy for you to just, to just do what you're supposed to do. That, that you could read it as this, your desire is gonna be contrary to your husband or that's gonna work against the way that it's supposed to be. That there's gonna be deep down inside this tendency to resent the authority structure that God has placed inside of the home, and you're going to try to work against that sometimes, and the man's negative reaction to this, if it's not a gospel reaction, his negative reaction is one of two, either A, to passively allow her to lead and to outsource and delegate his job, or B, to see that she's trying to work against him and to so power up and squash her out of, out of this idea and craving of I want the respect and I want that and that's supposed to be me that's deep inside that I will, I will stop you dead in your tracks from trying to do that and I'll belittle you and I'll berate you and I'll be abusive to you. A lot of that is birthed out of this tension that happens inside of the home and inside of the authority structure. And I've, I've, seen, I've seen it work both ways. I've seen it to where there are men who marriage number one or mom or whoever it was so wore the pants and so made all the decisions that now I have such an aversion to that that I will go to great lengths to make sure that that never happens to me again. And generally that, that's, that works out in the negative where now I'm going to Hulk smash whatever tries to resist me and I'm going to cause more damage out of the, the tendency to want to run away from what was negative in the first place. It happens in the, in the opposite as well. For ladies, 
that he was a dictator and a jerk, and if you only knew what he put me through, so now, because of dad or because of husband number one or two or whatever it was, now I'm going to, at all costs, make sure that no one, including a man, most of all, tells me ever what to do, and I will never allow someone to be over me or somehow submit or whatever that word is. No way. All of it is stuff that was messed up in the first place, and our reaction to it starts to mess us up even more, and, and it just spins out of control. And God is saying here, just specifically on this version of, of, of the sermon, understand a pothole here for ladies, that your desire is going to try to be contrary to your husband, and you're going to have to work against that. You're going to have to combat that. Just like he's going to have to combat wanting to give up more easily, you're going to have to combat that. Pothole four. Husbands, back to you. Avoid, avoid bitterness and anger towards your wives. Colossians 3 just like says that. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So here's what happens in marriage. Husband sinner, wife sinner, join in marriage. Beautiful, awesome, great, everybody's happy for about 10 seconds. So you get together and eventually conflict comes and you as a man get upset with something she does. This, I mentioned this maybe several months ago and, and I think we're t teaching through Colossians. This surprised the fire out of me when I got married because I grew up with four brothers and we were very much like in each other's face all the time. But it surprised me what, what my reaction to this would be. But here's what happens. You get into marriage and she hurts you, she wounds you, she upsets you, she doesn't do it the way that you thought. She bought, you know, Nesquik powder instead of Hershey syrup or whatever it is, all right? That was a real thing in our marriage, sadly. <laughs> that, was, that just kind of flowed from my memory bank. Uh, Hershey syrup is the way to go, by the way. Nesquik powder is not okay. Um, regardless, you feel disrespected, okay? You feel like she didn't do it the way you were, that you thought, or she hurt you, or she disrespected you somehow. And to, to try to win... You go into one of two modes. You either crank up the volume and flex your muscles out of your bitterness, or you become real passive and, and you, and you, it's a lion or turtle is what I call it. You, you get a lion and you roar or you become a turtle and you go back in your shell. And the more she pokes you to come out of your shell, and I'm, I'm more turtle by the way, which surprised me because I thought it would be a lion, but she pokes you to come out of your shell and she tries to draw you out and get you out the more that you just get deeper into your shell and you shut down and out of you know, trying to win, I'm going to be bitter against you and I'm going to show you that I'm disinterested and I'm going to show you that you're not going to get anything out of me and all of a sudden it, start, it starts to go haywire. Because you're doing exactly what God knew you'd have a tendency to do and he told you to avoid in the first place is, is you're going to have a tendency to get bitter and that bitterness will work itself out in one of those ways and when that happens, you'll work against your marriage. It, it, no matter if you're bitter in the, in the version of I shut down or you're bitter in, in the version of I power up, either one, you'll start to divert your attention away from your wife, which she needs, and, you, and you'll start to turn, tune into the project or, or binge-watching the television show or just leaving the house or whatever. You'll divert your attention away from her, which is entirely anti-gospel, and that's why you go back to the gospel over and over and over again. Because when we offend Jesus, he loves us, the church, so when we go to him, he doesn't stiff-arm us and say, get away from me, I shun you, I don't want to talk to you, I'm going to turn my back to you, I'm going to shut down on you. That's not what he does, right? 
And we're all thankful for that. He welcomes us. He embraces us. He forgives us. The communion is restored. But a man has a tendency to not be like Jesus and to be bitter and to shut down. And it's in those moments where you are on super shaky ground. You'll feel, you'll feel real justified for your sin at that point in time. And you'll turn in your five-year sobriety chip and you'll go to the bar or, or, you'll, or you'll pull out the pornography that you haven't seen in a while. It's in those moments that you will kill your marriage. You'll destroy it because you're bitter and you feel justified because she did something wrong according to you in the first place. I mean, this is, this is all just designed to say, don't watch out for that. You want to prioritize your marriage? You want to do that right? You, you have to be on guard for that. You have to watch out for it. Last one, this is for both of us. I'm equal opportunity here. Both of you, avoid seeing yourself as the hero and your spouse as the villain. I wish I had a whole sermon on this, and we'll get there eventually. James 4. You can read this in your notes. This, you're going to resist me on this, but I, I didn't put this down. I'm not smart enough to put this down. Like this, this is absolutely astounding, how this reveals who we are. And how this, this is, a, this is applicable to all relationships, no matter if you're married or not, all relationships, even with your boss or your neighbors or whatever. But this, this will really help you in your marriage. James 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Why are you fighting all the time? You know what I mean? <laughs> Some of you, inevitably, your marriage feels like a war zone. Why is that? Why, why, can't, you, why can't you resolve the conflict? What part of it is because you don't know the source. You say, what's the source? Thank you for asking. Let's keep reading. <laughs> Come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members? You know what that says? That fighting, that came from you. That came from your own lust. That came from your own dysfunctional desires. That came from your own malign desires. That, that's where it comes from. You say, no, 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 no. The source of the problem isn't me. It's them. Oh, that's, that's, that's not what this says. This is the source of the problem is you, and it's spilling out on people around you. you say, how's that? Well, here's what it says. You lust, and you have not. It's saying you want, your desire is for something you don't got. You, your source of your bickering and your fighting and your conflict, the source is your desire, and the desire is that you want something that you do not have. You want to, you want to get something, and you'll want it so bad, this is what it says, you lust and you have not, ye kill and desire to have and ye can't obtain. Now, mind you, is he talking about real war? Yeah, to a degree, but James isn't writing to death row inmates here. He's writing to, to Christians. There's a bit of hyperbole going on here. He's saying you, out of your desire to get something that you don't have, ye kill. You will destroy those that are closest to you out of your own dysfunctional desire to get for yourself something that you want deep down inside. So let's play this out practically. This is how... Parents will destroy children trying to make them do what I've always wanted you to do. I dreamed a dream for you since you were one year old. I never got to play the trumpet. I never got to race motocross. I never got to do this. So I'm going to stack the deck and make sure that you are the athletic one or you are the pretty one or you are the whatever. And I'm going to work very hard to do this. And we'll say it's for you, son, daughter, but at its core, it's us. It's what we want. 
And parents will destroy the relationship between their children out of an effort to press them into what they really want at their core. Oh, I'm just trying to give them a better life than I have. No, 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 no. You are trying to serve you. Husbands and wives will do this back and forth to each other. A man will power up in an effort to destroy a wife's self-image so that he can feel the respect that he wants deep down inside. A woman will criticize a man to the point that he has no confidence in himself and, and she'll kill him in an effort to make him into the man that she wants him to be. All the while, guys in it as, well, I just want him to reach his potential, but deep down inside, you want him to measure up to whatever standard daddy set for you or you set for yourself or better than this guy or your friend's husband or whatever it is. And all it is is your desires coming out of you, destroying people around you to try to make them do what you want them to do. James says, no, you, you, want, it, you want to start playing, you know, the hero card and the villain card, you better turn that magnifying glass on yourself. Be very, be very slow to make it look like the source of all of our problems and conflict is on them, and I'm, I'm, I'm faultless here. Even if you're not faultless, okay, I share part of the blame, maybe 10%, but they have 90%. James is saying, understand where this comes from. Un understand that you can shame your children to the point where they're, they're afraid to be around you. You can, you can pressure them or put expectations so high on those that are closest to you that, that you'll destroy their heart. No, 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 pastor. I just, I just, I want what's best for them. I want them to have, a, I want them to have more successful life than, than I did growing up and to have more opportunities. You're, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. What you want is you. This is why our biggest conflicts are with those closest to us because they're closest to us. I don't have time to build this out, but he does just for sake of, of the passage. He does go on to say, you work to get this. And then he says, you don't even ask. You, you don't even pray about it. This is like, this should tip your hand that this is so weird. You're a Christian people. You don't, you don't even pray to God that they would this or they would that. You're just, you're trying to serve yourself. And then he answers the, the rhetorical question of, well, you know, what if, or the silent question of what, well, I did pray about it. And he says, you, you, you ask, but you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. He says, okay, some of you do pray, but you pray just so you can serve yourself still. He says, it doesn't work that way. God's not your genie. But all of it's meant to get at the core of where do, where do our fights come from? Where do our problems come from? Why do we hit these potholes? Well, because, because we want our way, because we have our desires, we, we have our problems. And you would, it would go a long way in your marriage if you would just recognize, okay, I need to examine me and I need to ask myself, why am I, asking this, why am I acting this way? Why am I expecting that of him or her? Why am I trying to, what, point it at yourself. That'll take the conflict and the tension and the temperature down a long way if you'll just ask that. Principle three, I'm, I'm close to done. The prescription principle. This is simply Christians have a clear plan to follow. I'm gonna give it to you in short. Singles, we'll start with you. Here's, here's the biblical admonition. You, you want something to work on, something not just to avoid, but something to pursue. Here we go, real simple. Singles, marry only in the Lord. Second Corinthians tells us that we shouldn't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, there's a lot of applications to that. One of them would be marriage. And what communion hath light with darkness? You know, you, you, marry, you marry the child of the devil, you get the devil for a daddy-in-law. And you don't want the devil for a daddy-in-law. So 
marry only in the Lord. Make that your goal. Oh, I'm going to win them to Jesus. It just, just marry in the Lord. I would further say, keep yourself clean. Keep yourself pure. If you think a marriage sermon doesn't apply to you, you're wrong because you're working on your marriage now, even when you're not married. You are either chipping away at the foundation of your marriage one day, or you are building it up right now by what you do, by what you say, by how you learn to interact with your parents and honor them and obey them, by how you learn to uh, keep yourself clean and not find yourself in a whole bunch of mess and garbage, all of that, singles. I don't, I don't care if, you, if you're older, single, or widowed, or widower, or whatever. Just marry only in the Lord. Keep yourself clean. I would say if you're single, you do have to at least ask yourself, this is bonus material, you have to at least ask yourself, does God want me to be married? In our culture, uh, a lack of marriage many times is like this badge of dishonor, which is not the case biblically. Even the church needs to be very careful that you try to play matchmaker with every single person that's, that's single and try to act like they all need to be married because 1 Corinthians 7 is very clear that there are some that are designed not to be married and that they will have a greater capacity to serve the Lord because they don't have that relationship to prioritize. They can prioritize the Lord solely, singly. And so that, that could be the case. You have to at least ask yourself if that's the case. Most of the time it's not, but it may be. Pray about it perhaps. Wives, here's your, what do I work on? The instruction's real simple in the Bible. Submit to and respect your husbands. That's, that's basically what it says. Ephesians 5.22, we read that as we started. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.33, the wife see that she reverence or respect her husband. I know, that, I know there's different mindsets on this. Some of you are here and I'm a Christian woman and I have lived out that principle. Some other lady or someone taught that to me. I found it to be life-giving. Pastor, I'll get up and I'll preach that for you. I, I love that. that. That's fantastic. Some of you are Christian women and you say, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian woman, but that just really, that goes against my grain and I'm not really, uh, tough to me to buy that one and, and you're struggling with that. Some of you maybe are back here and you're just like, no, definitely not buying it. Hard pass. I'm nowhere close to that. There's there's just no way. That's grandma's version. I'm not doing it. Now, if you if you're, don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm actually okay with that because you need to start there first. That's way down the road. J just worry about Jesus and if the gospel is true. If you do know Jesus as your Savior, it's not really okay because you can't just cherry pick the Bible and what you want. I wish I could build out more logic, but the bottom line is that this is a call to to, to respect the husband and to recognize and respond to the God-ordained authority that he put in place. I didn't do it. He did. So if, if you feel resistant to this, I will help you with this. If you feel resistant to it, that's okay. It's not okay to continue to be resistant. You want to work against that. But all of these commands, the whole passage, we're resistant to. They tell the children to obey. My children don't normally want to obey. They want to do their own thing. So children are naturally resistant to that, and God says, hey, do something different. It tells the man to love her as you love yourself more than yourself, put her, put her first, die for her. Naturally, I'm a pretty selfish dude, so that's, that's kind of tough for me to do. It's same thing with the wife's command. I get that, it, that it's tough and not normal or natural. I get that. The curse told us it would be that way, but the instruction's there. Just as Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, not less than the Father, equal with the Father, there, there was no, like, he's better than you, but he submitted himself to the will of the Father because that was the authority structure for the good of us so too it will be for the good of your family if you'll follow what what the Lord says so I will say this if you'll learn to do this well it will actually accomplish what you want to accomplish I take that back it probably will I can't guarantee it I, I don't want to make it like you know it's a banking system you do this and it'll do what you want to do I, I can't promise you that but more often than not if you will actually do this when my wife does this to me 
when I have a tendency to want to be passive, want to not lead and, and allow her to make the decision or I'll guise it as what do you think or something like that. And she puts it back on me and she says, you know what, here's my opinion, but really that, that's your decision and you're going to give an account to God for our family as a whole more than I am. So, so that's on you and, and I'll, you know, I'm okay with whatever you say, babe. All of a sudden she's put some pressure back on me. Oh snaps, I better not get this wrong. I do have to give an account to God. This is, man, there is more on me. All of a sudden I'm pressed into my relationship with the Lord more, which is kind of what she wants in the first place. So that's God. I don't know what the lights are doing. That's God saying that he agrees. Uh, husbands, if the lights go dark here, then, then husbands, we're done. You, don't have, you, have, you have nothing to work on. Husbands, we're done. Last one, love and be considerate of your wives. That's the biblical instruction. Love and be considerate of your wives. Husbands love them. First Peter 3 tells us to dwell with them according to knowledge. I know you love your wife and you love the Steelers. I get both legitimate love, but they're different loves, okay? And you treat your, your wife differently than that. You, according to Ephesians, you love her especially with a servant's heart and with a sacrificial heart. You don't love to get, you're not trying to, to get it for yourself. You love her even if she rebels, even if she never responds to your love. You do that because Christ has done that for you. So you seek to be considerate of her. You seek to prioritize her. You seek to pursue her. You, you seek to nurture the relationship and the love and not coast, but, but to work at it. Roger said this, true love is a dazzling diamond. It's not a dazzling diamond. It's a beautiful flower. You don't find it. You nurture it, which is the truth of love. So nurture it. Don't flirt with other women. Never cease to flirt with her. All those basic things you want to do. You want, I could even say romance her. Say, I don't, I'm not an extra romantic guy. Google it. Okay. It's, it's not that difficult. You can figure it out. Well, when I Google it, she says that it didn't come from my heart. That's her problem. Okay. Just tell her it, it was in my heart to romance you. So the best, I, I'm dense. The best I knew how to do was to Google it and find an idea so that I could romance you and let her deal with her part, but you do your part. So be humble, be gentle, provide, protect. Don't, don't run around and be a Hulk smashing everything all the time. All of that, I wish I could say more. All that's designed for the husbands. You love, you care for, you do your best to be considerate of your wife and to place her first and to help her. That's your job. That's your job is to love her and to put her first. Now you have something to aim for, unconditional love. Not conditional, not based on what she does, unconditional love.